0: Neighbor podcast. I'm Jesse Sadirgo. Welcome. So, Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. It's pretty much my favorite podcast by a long shot. I don't think I've missed an episode since it started a few years ago. And maybe it's not what you expected, given what we talk about in this podcast, but it's something that I'm very committed to. And when you listen to his interviews with actors and comedians, I find that Conan always seems to have a serious time where he talks about the craft of being a comedian. He'll get into the nuances of improv, how he uses, say, self-deprecation, the subtleties of how he uses silence and pauses in a joke, which is very valuable to learn, and the power of facial expressions and body movements when telling a joke. And if there's one thing in particular I enjoy while watching Conan, it's the outrageous responses he has when he notices a guest do or say something that's odd. For Conan, and he'll say it himself, it's the surprises in the interview that make for the best kind of comedy, the moments that go off script where he's genuinely caught off guard. And, you know, my daughter has literally come to me asking why I'm crying as I'm watching an old Conan YouTube clip on my phone and almost every time it has something to do with those moments of surprise but improvising in those moments is not something that just comes natural to someone according to Conan it's it's a craft it's a skill you develop it's muscle memory it's disciplined reflexes that respond almost unconsciously and although acting in a movie or a play does require some improvisation, the script is laid out in those situations, right? You know how the story ends. In this episode, I end my three-part conversation with the director of Youth Unlimited GTA, Scott Moore, where we discuss the role discernment plays in the way we plan and execute programs in the community. I'd say that leadership in our day seems to demand a whole lot of scripts when it comes to developing our strategies. We need detailed five-year plans, tangible outcomes that line up with the way that we think the story needs to end. We have best practices and reproducible models that act as the rails that keeps us moving in one direction. Surprises are normally not welcomed, right? They tend to exist for us to manage, to reroute back to the narrative we hold so dearly. But oftentimes, surprises lead us to that treasure we find in the ground. Right? It leads us to abandon our old properties and go all in and buy that land where we found that treasure. But the question is whether we're training leaders to know how to respond to surprises. Are we training them to read out lines to a story we've already penned or are we equipping them to discern, to have a grounded spiritual intuition to respond to the changing oddities of this world? Sometimes I think we need less leaders who know what they want to do and exactly where they want to go, and we need more leaders who know what questions to ask when they hit a dead end or when they veer off the path. I know this might be the case with any industry or profession, but community agencies and programs in specific that focus on marginalized populations, they're constantly dealing with surprises. They are regularly faced with the exceptions to the rule. So dare I say... We need more leaders in the social sector like Conan, to lean into the absurd, to embrace surprises. Might it be effective, perhaps, to create rhythms that are malleable enough to contain the chaos within our programs? Scott and I continue our conversation by considering the significance of bringing a vertical, divine element into the strategic planning process. Scott gets into the spaces that they create to both listen to their context and the data and best practices that they've learned, but also to listen to the spirit's guidance as if it was a lamp unto our feet. So let's get into it.
1: Um, So you know, let me illustrate. So two years ago, we started a discernment process for a four year strategy for the organization. And I remember at one point, um, this was a new process for ministry leaders. And someone said, what, you know, what's the difference here between what we're doing and kind of strategic planning that you'd hear about in a normal, whatever corporate world or many good worlds. And I said, we are doing strategic planning, but in a discernment context. So we're still gonna collect all the information We're still going to listen. We're still going to ask voice, you know, see where the needs are, talk to experts, but we're not going to make decisions purely based on the facts. We're going to make decisions based on what God's spirit is stirring within us, right? So I guess it's a very Ignatian approach to Mm. decision-making that rather than just making decisions on the facts, Mm. we're actually going to make decisions based on our, our understanding of what God is saying to us. So again, back to that whole. You know, if, if I'm in a programming context and I'm not seeing the fruit I would hope for, I'm not just gonna make a decision on that fact. I'm gonna make a decision on my understanding of what God's saying to me with that reality. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And in a way, it requires us to view facts um, with a particular weighting. Um, in 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 conjunction with also the spirit in a way there's certain the tradition that we grew up in, in this modern era is assuming that the spirit and facts align, right? right? Like we can like just the case for Christ by Lee Strobel is, is an attempt to say, look, like when you, when you look at the facts, it lines up with the story of Jesus and the whole apologetics is, is a goal for a while, not necessarily now, but apologetics is to line up reason and the way we see the world and that with, um, you know, how God is. So that's why we'll always try to find a way to equate like the seven day you know, the creation or like how that like, Oh, we'll tell you exactly when it's trying to line up with science. So um, definitively that in a way it's like, wait a minute, who said that? Like who said fact was, um, Primary and that we have to line yeah. up with all these, you know, points of logic and fact. I think that's definitely important. I mean, so how do you cultivate that within an organization, especially with many people who likely um, see the necessity to look at, say, best practices or like this is an effective program out there. Why aren't we doing that in this neighborhood? It's it's even contextual. It's in, it's proven in this area. Why don't we do that? How do you how do you face situations in which The spirit actually does contradict, not contradict, but like is, is not as, not as convincing as the fact that might be out there. Have you gone through situations like that, that you've actually, you know, had to choose the way of this? It's a good
1: question. And and again, I'll I'll keep saying it's not that we're going to not, we're not going to not look at best practices. Of, Of course we are, right? Like that's just, that's best practice. I think, I think it's, um. I'm trying to think if there's a specific example, nothing's coming to mind, but but I think it's a cultural piece. So I mean, we do two spiritual retreats a year for all of our staff, right? We have um, our annual review process is very much, you know, take a day in prayer. We equip people with reflective questions. Mm. Um, Two years ago, we developed what we call the Why You Ministry Notebook, which is is a six-week cycle. At the start of your week with some reflective questions, at the end of your week, some reflective questions all about what is God doing within you around you how is he guiding you to youth? so it really shapes the context of what kind of questions people are asking in their ministry uh, so again it, again I, I think we'd agree theologically if people are in a transforming relationship with jesus scripture is clear that they will learn they will hear the spirit speak and lead and guide yeah. and so you know that's just a critical value for us when it comes to collective decision-making, right? Mm -hmm. That's a whole other process. Yes. So, so same thing. We have a discernment retreat guide for all of our programs that has some step-by-step instructions of here's how you can listen to God and one another to help guide your ministry and your program forward.
0: Mm -hmm. I think the collective thing I find quite fascinating because individual discernment in a way, kind of like Ignatian spirituality, as you're saying, or how you get people to, to, to hear the Lord and, make decisions individually is one thing, even for their own programs. But as a community of people, discernment is a tough thing because everyone is hearing God and hopefully we're making the assumption that God is saying the same thing to all people. But I assume that also when people get together, there's different hearing of the voice of God in different ways or different emphasis and based on how God is speaking to them. And I find so what what more do you do when it comes to and what how do you distinct distinct um distinguish um collective discernment versus individual discernment is it just rallying a bunch yeah. of the individual voices together in one or
1: I think there's a team shaping process that happens there um you know I was my own perspective was really enlightened when I read Ruth Haley Barton's book pursuing God's will together uh, probably six years ago now, mm-hmm. and that that really was a call to Christian leaders to move away from kind of a corporate decision making to collective discernment mm-hmm. um, so I think in any group every every individual still has to be discerning, right You, you can't create a discerning group without discerning individuals, yes what I'm getting, right, obviously, maybe. But I I think a key thing is relinquishment. Uh, And anytime we're making a strategic decision, it's an intentional practice of saying, I'm gonna let go of what I care about, you know, what I've invested in, you know, what I'm passionate about to truly seek God's will first and foremost. And when everybody does that, honestly and openly, it really changes the dynamic of the group conversation. And that we're all listening in together and and what we're sharing is a gift for the group to to listen into as opposed to like i'm trying to win you over with my perspective because that derails any discernment
0: relinquishing that's a powerful word i think that you know if there is a best practice (laughs) Relinquishment would be a great best practice. <laughs> yes. That is mandatory in an organization. Yes. Um, I I I I remember reading a book by uh, someone called Peter Senge, a systems thinking book, and and it's not not faith based or whatnot, but it's it it has the same mentality of the distinction between discussion and dialogue. Discussion being kind of a debate, bringing forward your best points in the midst of a dialogue uh, between an exchange of two people, and dialogue being, um, in a way, they didn't use the word relinquish, but in giving your input and allowing it to float in the cloud between the different parties who are communicating and detaching yourself from your input and allowing it to flow and piece together with other people's input in that cloud and then looking at it apart from your own opinion, um, which is, especially in our culture today, um, extremely difficult to cultivate yeah. and to find those yeah. people who can do that because um, everyone wants their voice to be heard. Um, and, 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 and I, and I, I can see why in our very polarized, you know, politics, yeah. our world is right. So.
1: And you know, the other thing, Jesse, as you're sharing it, that I'm also learning is worship. Like mm. when we place ourselves in a position of worship before, our Lord, right? It really change Again, it just dramatically changes your context, how you approach a decision. And so that's something I'm also, at least personally, trying to be very intentional about is, is my heart in a worshipful space in the context of my leadership and what's unfolding in our ministries. Um, so, I mean, that's a new lesson for me that I'm just wrestling with. Yeah. And, but realizing how much that, because when I'm not worshipful, I just get I get inward focused and it's about Mm -hmm. my desires and what I'm trying to achieve and where I'm trying to go. So if you multiply that by 70 people in an organization, you can imagine the chaos that ensues, right? Uh, Yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah, in a way, without centering on a vertical relationship with God, someone outside of the people in our organizations, whatever organizations if, if there is no entity outside of it um, it is difficult to truly be humble when, you, when 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 there is a perfect God out there and you are trying to lead an organization and engage with different people, there is a like a, a, a self, will that could drive us to say, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, I'm just like you and we're, I'm just another human being, but another human being has to be in reaction to something that is not a human being (laughs) for that humility to, you know, um, to be substantiated, right? Like that, that we are not holy, you know? Um, And so I think a divine aspect to an organization um, is important in knowing how to say relinquish, for example. Yeah, uh, it's not the only way, perhaps, but I think it really helps.
1: Yeah, and, and again, if we circle back to that, the efficiency, like that sort of pull towards efficiency, mm. a process of decision making that focuses on discernment is not efficient. I'll tell you that, <laughs> uh, right? It's it's very slow. There's lots of space for silence. You're right, but uh, the rudeness of that decision. Is another level of depth and thoughtfulness
0: so. yeah and so overall when back to this idea of efficiency thanks for bringing us back there um do, how do you what what value or what philosophy if you were to sum it up um gives you the guts to make those sacrifices you know of efficiency because this is my question my question is how much is enough right, with regards to efficiency? And what is the limit? And I use that word limit pretty intentionally, because I feel like we could, e- we could make things as efficient as possible to the point that you have an you know, in an Amazon factory, like, people are no longer efficient, let's use robots to carry these boxes and go exactly to where it is. So you don't have a human looking at what number is this box, you know, the the, the, the robot just knows what to do and gets it and brings it. That's, to the point of extreme of
1: efficiency, extreme
0: of efficiency. Right. And so we already know that there are limits to, for example, how much we can produce um, products in the world, because we're finding the limits to that based on climate change. And, you know, we're finding the collateral to that later on. We would have not thought of this a hundred years to the fact that we're ruining our planet as a result of all this industrialization, but somewhere along the lines, we realized there was a limit to that. And I am, I'm kind of putting it out there that I think when it comes to the social sector, there's points where we have to, maybe this is early on, but where the efficiencies might be creating some kind of, you know, iceberg melting somewhere else that we're, we're not realizing.
1: Unintended harm.
0: Yeah. In the human dynamic. Right. And so how would you, and that is a big question, but like, what's your barometer to know when, it's just too much. Um, and I feel too like you've already efficiency. Yeah, no, too much efficiency. You know what I'm saying? Or too much
1: efficiency either way. Yeah. And because hmm. I think your
0: journey in the seven years, you, you've you tried something. You've actually encountered a point in which you saw the negative effects, perhaps of measurement. And yeah. I'm, I'm curious, what is behind a leader's, you know, character or value system or philosophy that triggered you to say, let's not enough is enough, but we have to change our approach, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was listening to the people of our organization, mm. right. And the challenges they were facing and, and just seeing this is not leading us where we had wanted this to go. And mm. we can keep pushing and pushing and trying to get there, or we can circle back, come back to the heart of what this was all about, which was a picture of God's transforming work in young wives and really start again, which is where this canvas uh, metaphor came. Yeah. And we now, we now have a team that's meeting around the canvas metaphor to say, what does it look like to talk about transformation in this way? And so we're very much still learning, very much still growing. Um, I, I still think when I think of limits, I, I guess the word stewardship comes to mind, Jesse, when we think sort of leadership level, mm-hmm you know, you're constantly asking the questions of how am I stewarding our people? You know, how am I stewarding our resources? How am I stewarding, you know, everything God's given us as an organization. And so I I, I think you can swing too far to almost chaos and that's, that's not good stewardship either. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if I can succinctly say, Mm -hmm. you know, here, here's the line. I, I think it's a continual almost case by case basis. You know, given the constraints of our organization, the capacity we have, can we step into that? Can we step into this? Can we go this pathway? Um, there's no, you know, yes, we have policies, we have procedures, and that's a strength of our organization. But at the same time, we're constantly discerning in the midst of those policies and procedures. Does that make me answer your question?
0: When it comes to discernment and all these different staff within Youth Unlimited who are coming up with new inspirations within their own particular programs, in their own contexts, that you as a Scott will never know as much as they will with regards to their context, right? And so what ends up happening is my imagination is that because people have such unique identities all over the organization, how do you keep it all together? Yeah. Just great say, question. Releasing it and just, okay, you're your own thing right now. When does it become advantageous for that to just happen versus it just being housed under one thing? And what is the point of having one large thing in the end of it? And how, what's the limit to the scaling of that yeah.
1: if there is yes. one? Yes. Well, the last thing I ever want people to experience at YU is you just go do your own thing. Hmm. I think that that's actually a dangerous approach to ministry. So, I, again, two years ago, I think I talked a bit about our four-year, again, strategic pathway. I actually made a change in the, in the context of our organization to that end because it did feel like, so historically, every ministry on the ground has done their own planning, their own kind of three-year strategic Mm -hmm. discernment. And I had a sense, you know, in my own leadership and just how God was stirring us that, you know, we as an organization have so much to offer collectively, Mm -hmm. you know, we need to all be going in the same direction. And so I I took our ministry leadership team, which was a team of uh, eight people and each of those people oversees a team of field staff. And we did a two day spiritual discernment retreat that shaped the direction of YU for four years. And coming out of that were four key directions for the whole organization. Increasing our engagement with vulnerable youth, accompanying young people in the midst of their mental health challenges, uh, coming alongside local churches to see young people experience belonging in local churches and living out holistic transformation. Mm -hmm. So because, because we did that from the grassroots ministry leaders, that really set the pathway for the organization as a whole. And so in some senses that provides the guardrails for our discernment to say, hey, this is what God's invited us to in this season. So our energies and our focus are all going in that direction. Now that didn't mean, you know, people stopped doing what they're doing and totally did something different. It was more as I'm discerning in my own context, I have this broader context of this movement I'm a part of with these four pathways. And so that's, you know, that's really a part of how, we keep it together and it, and then it's just relational conversation at a leadership level constantly, you know, how are we directing, where are we going and doing that together? Because absolutely everyone doing their own thing is not as impactful as us collectively seeking God's direction together.
0: Yeah. In my studies about church planting, for example, I yeah. have seen different models where it is, Say a franchise model of church planting, where it is a certain brand that goes out, and you have a certain way of doing it in different places, and um, that's how it spreads. You know, in a way, that is quite efficient. Then there is the ones church planting where it's you know, creating leaders who will create their own things and it's just a it's a hot mess because everyone's doing their own thing everywhere but they're contextualizing yeah. extremely well but there's no base centralized support and it's a it's it's a it's it, some would say it's like movement based you know just like scatter and let it go and one is more controlled and um and has the guardrails either real tight or the guardrails real real wide and when i think about uh, the other question actually i had in mind to to discuss with you that i didn't say earlier is this idea of scaling an organization. And I've had certain organizations actually just tell me um, recently, says, well, we just know we're not going to scale this far um, because we know it's going to have its limit to even scaling. Because right. I, in the, in the same way, I talk about the limits to efficiency. In a way, the, the limits to scaling, which seems automatic, it seems like, okay, we should make exponential change and if we can think of this then it can keep on growing do you ever think about the limits to scaling with regards to youth unlimited and and how far it can reach um uh and 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 how in which certain things that do not fall within the the guardrails how to release those things well or how to 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 manage with that situation and how you interact with those
1: yeah that's a great question I think, you know, in these four years with our Making Space strategy, is what, which is what we're calling our strategy, mm-hmm. it makes saying no a lot easier, right? Because yeah. if we're presented with an opportunity that doesn't fit yeah. in these four areas, you know, we can easily say, hey, that's just not what we feel God's calling yeah. us to. You know, when it comes to scaling, you know, there's a few things that come to mind. One mm-hmm. is our vision, which is every young person, you know, every one of one million young people being <laughs> transformed. So... Smart our potatoes. Visions, <laughs> you know, our vision certainly compels us to continue to grow. Yeah. Um, I guess the scaling question becomes the how, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're probably not going to scale by replicating exactly things we're doing here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, one of the shifts we made probably six years ago, our, our strategy for growth historically was to have area directors who oversaw an area of the city Mm-hmm. So I started, for example, at YU as the North York area director. Mm-hmm. So I oversaw our ministry in that part of the city, you know, developing, building partnerships. Um, the challenge was, A, we couldn't find area directors. So we had eight area directors, but we never had more than a couple at a time. Uh, so that's one problem with scaling. Uh, and the other we found was if, if an area director was, if there was no contextualized presence of YU, it was very hard for an area director to come in at a high level and start to build things. Mm. Whereas if we started at the community grassroots level, it was like, Hey, here, this program in this neighborhood, doing this thing, people could look at that and say, Oh, I I get that Mm. and grow that. And so when we think of scaling, it starts at a neighborhood level and grows from there, as opposed to, we're going to come into an area, you know, and come down on that area. Does that make sense?
0: Oh yeah. So, so just literally grassroots versus, I don't know, what's the opposite of grassroots rain from the sky. top down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> top, top down um, in regards to scaling, just even those categories of how you begin to think about scaling, the direction you're going to, down, up, up, down uh, yeah. is one way to perhaps wrap our minds around how you would go. And then, and then from there, where, do you, where would you think with regards to that, if there is anything more?
1: Well, I, I hope that the scaling becomes as, as a grassroots thing grows, as that team grows. So for example, you know, a very alive example is our South Central Etobicoke team, mm-hmm. you know, it started with Andrew and he was doing an incredible soccer league and great ministry. And then Faye joined and then Becky, and then all of a sudden you had, you know, kind of six, six or seven initiatives. And they're now their own team. And so Sh- the shout idea- out to
0: shout out to Capstone church. Yes. I got it.
1: (laughs) Yes. So, um, you know, that's a very beautiful example of something that started very grassroots in our frontiers team, which is like an incubator and grew and the leadership grew within that. And it's now its own team and continuing to grow. So my hope from a scale standpoint is that we just see that happening all over the city.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's very different um, than the top down kind of approach and also just the franchise model of uh, taking certain things that I, I've i actually one situation that I did in 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 uh, the region park area, there's this basketball program and someone who just was indigenously like grew within the community who started that and us trying to figure out how to scale his program into different places in a way just did not do in my opinion. And I was one of the leaders of that. Um, a good a good way to do it like it's actually could kill something by it did it did start grassroots but how you put um an expectation on something that is grassroots and putting onto it a a model of scaling that is not of its flavor or of its um way of doing business or operations um I learned a great lesson in that in saying that maybe that just shouldn't happen that way mm. you know and this is not the way in which um we should do that so absolutely yeah
1: and it's and it's i'm i'm very much builder developer oriented like that's my own mm. personality and gifting and so i know for me i have to i can't start with the assumption that's up that's always the answer and always the right yeah. way to go you know mm. sometimes things should be as they are because that's just how God wants them to be,
0: right? (laughs) Good good old relinquishing.
1: (laughs) Yes, there you go. Our word of the day.
0: It's been a pleasure to share this three-part interview with you all. Thanks to Scott Moore for his philosophical and practical insights into how he leads his organization Uh, You can really hear how his values shape the way in which he leads. And I'm not sure if you picked up on this, but there's this humility and this meekness in his voice that is quite evident to me. And I, I just really appreciate that so much. So thanks, God. As always, thanks for listening. Join us in our next series of episodes with the author and the founder and pastor of Sanctuary Ministries in Toronto, Greg Paul. I'm really excited to share this with you. We talk about the impact the pandemic has on their community and the subtle shifts that can take place between being a community or an agency. Interesting stuff, I gotta say. I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to leave a comment, drop me an Instagram message. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating and review. It'd be great to hear some response to what we're putting out there. So thanks everyone. Have a great rest of the week and I'll catch you in the next episode.